Just a quick reminder that I do now have a second podcast called Track Nerds, where I have guests on to discuss travel, exercise, and movies and TV. Check it out. Okay, enjoy the show. I know you kind of said this episode was maybe a little bit like homework with how long it kind of took you to get through the movie just with how busy your schedule has been. Yeah, I don't know if it was just like, you know, all the stuff that I had going on here or just, you know, like the fact that the movie is well over three hours long. But so I liked the movie. I really liked Ben Kingsley's performance, obviously, but it just seemed so slow and like kind of boring at certain parts. And I know that it's like an important story to tell. And I'm really glad that I watched the movie. This is the first time I'd ever seen it. Oh, okay. But yeah, it just, it, it did, it was a little bit slow. And this is probably my fourth time watching it because I actually am a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Gandhi fanboy. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, okay. So my history with Gandhi, not just the movie, but researching the man as well so basically i watched the movie as i'm going through watching all these oscar winning movies and kind of so you know probably sometime uh either during college or right after i graduated i sat down to watch this movie because it was the best picture winner and i was blown away because i didn't know the story at all in my mind and i feel like in a lot of people's minds yeah, Gandhi was just like this Indian guy who made his own clothes and did a bunch of fasts, but I don't actually know why he's important. I feel like he was famous for not eating food. Like, it was almost like it didn't even make sense what he did. And then within the movie, <laughs> spoiler alert for Gandhi, but basically the whole nonviolent resistance thing, like we also saw like Martin Luther King Jr. advocate for during the civil rights movement in America. Right. He used that to such an effective degree that the British Empire gave up their claim on the country of India. Yes. So I didn't really know a ton about Gandhi before watching this movie, but I didn't, I I knew that he was kind of old. I thought that he was tangentially related to Indian independence. I didn't realize he was like the driving force. Basically the reason. Yes. Yeah. That is basically what the whole movie is about is him getting to the point where they're just making so many problems. They're basically it's non it's non-cooperation is is what it is. Basically like, "Oh, yep. hey, you British Empire are kind of in charge of India here technically. Well, then we're just going to not do anything." How are right. you going to deal with a whole country that just doesn't do anything, doesn't cooperate with any of your laws? Just until you leave, we're just going to have a nationwide sit-in and just just go away. Right. Similar to like we saw in The Wind That Shakes the Barley with the Irish telling the also the British, just go away. You're in our country and we don't want you here. Like, why is that so hard to understand? Right. But the major and obvious difference, though, is that, you know, the IRA was like, if you don't go away, we're going to keep blowing up British soldiers. Whereas Gandhi's whole approach was, yeah, you can beat us with sticks. You can shoot us, massacre us. But, you know, number one, you're going to kind of look like a-holes on the world stage. Yes. And that was a big factor. Yeah. And it's not going to get us. You're not going to get us to fight back. So what are you going to do? Kill 350 million Indians. Right. And, and, and that was a big factor is like basically 
the British ended up having no leg to stand on. And because then they kind of talk about within the movie, too, where if we fight back with violence, that now gives them an excuse to suppress us further with more violence. Exactly. And that was kind of the genius of Gandhi. Now, again, from my research into all this as well. So the movie does not mention at all Leo Tolstoy. Which you're probably thinking, well, yeah, of course not. <laughs> so <laughs> they they actually wrote each other. And it was, in a lot of ways, Tolstoy's philosophy that Gandhi definitely put his own spin on but was implementing. So Tolstoy preached pacifism and this same kind of, uh, this almost responsibility to challenge authority to non-cooperation and non-violent resistance. And Gandhi liked the idea and implemented it, obviously, with his own his own flair and definitely made it his own thing. It's way more famous. Basically, Tolstoy was all theory. He never actually did anything in real life <laughs> that was putting his money where his mouth is, so to speak, whereas Gandhi then put it actually into, into action. But right. yeah, their, their lives overlapped. And a lot of the last letters uh, Tolstoy wrote were to a young Gandhi, and they, they corresponded. And the farm that we see him set up in South Africa, yeah, where where the the American uh, reporter comes and checks in on the farm and everything, not mentioned in the movie, he named that farm Tolstoy Farm. Oh, okay. So there was definitely a connection there too. And then again, to bring it more to you know America, I already kind of mentioned Martin Luther King Jr. Well, again, it wasn't a coincidence. He was very obviously specifically inspired by Gandhi. And so when Martin Luther King Jr. was trying to do the same thing in the South, non-cooperation, peaceful marches, it was directly inspired by Gandhi. Dr. King was very intentionally doing the exact same thing that Gandhi did in India right. to get the British out was what he was trying to do to fight for civil rights, which is why he was right. very against any kind of, and again, it, it helped turn public opinion to your side when you're refusing to fight. And again, when I first watched this movie, that is what blew me away when I realized, again, I'm talking to the Marine here, but it is it takes more courage not to fight. They got in a yes. line and marched to, they want to get into this, uh, there's a certain uh, factory that they're basically shutting down or, anyway, they're, they're wanting to get into it the was factory. A, it was a salt, the salt factory. Yeah. So I guess at the time, for some reason, it was illegal for them to make salt. Basically, because the British salt companies had a monopoly that was like government backed. Right. Um, so they were making salt by the ocean, and uh, yeah, they got run off the beach by the British. So they were gonna—he he called it a raid, but it, it looked like it was—it was more just like a, they were gonna demonstrate, like do a stage of demonstration at this salt factory. But yeah, it was just column after column of his uh, supporters. They just walked right up to the gate, and they all got beat with clubs. And then you know the the women came and kind of scooped up that rank and then the next rank came and right the, yeah the guards are trying to keep them out there and they're just gonna like we, we would like in so we're going to just march toward and we would like to get in oh you beat me over the head well now i'm unconscious okay now the guy behind me is gonna walk forward and you're just gonna yep. martin sheen has an interesting role in this as the american reporter and kind of a powerful moment in the movie is when he's calling back and basically says like any moral superiority the british might have claimed was gone in minutes after watching right. this scene now the Martin Sheen reporter character is fictional-ish. He's kind of an amalgamation of multiple actual people, but he's the, the character he plays is not a specific historical figure. But let's reset to the beginning. So we actually start the movie with his assassination and then his funeral. And then the famous quote from Albert Einstein, 
generations to come will scarce believe that such a one as this ever in flesh and blood walked upon this earth is what Einstein said of Gandhi, that basically he's too too good to be true. So as the commentator, it's kind of where they have commentators during the funeral, but as the commentator mentions, you know, when this crowd of millions of people are showing up for his funeral, this was a guy who, what was he? He didn't have, like, a great scientific achievement. He wasn't a traveler, inventor, discoverer. He wasn't a political leader. He held no specific office. He wasn't a religious leader specifically. He was just a guy who inspired his country to not cooperate with those oppressing him to the point that he became one of the biggest celebrities in the world, just through non-cooperation. Right. And never, he was never a dictator or a country leader or right. an elected official of any kind. He was just... Just a, a guy, a influential guy. And again, you could say the same. Again, the comparisons to Martin Luther King Jr. are apt because you know Martin Luther King Jr. never ran for office that I know of, or never held any office in Washington D.C. Anyway, and he was a pastor. But again, he was just someone who was well spoken and vocal about leading for his cause. That's basically who Gandhi was. So then we cut to the beginning of his story within the movie. We actually go back to 1893, and we see a young Gandhi on a train in western clothes so that's also another one of the biggest misconceptions that kind of blew me away is everyone sees gandhi as this poor indian guy basically dressed in rags that was a specific choice to basically show solidarity with poor indians who couldn't afford better clothes he could right i mean they it's kind of a big deal in the movie talks about wearing homespun which is like cloth made in india right because a lot of the there were like a lot of, of british fabric companies that were kind of responsible for a lot of the uh like they show in the movie the guy talking about well we used to grow indigo but now you know these english companies make all the cloth and so nobody wants our indigo anymore now no one here can make any money and you know right but they still expect us to pay rent and stuff and so yeah gandhi's like all right well we're only gonna wear uh indian cloth now you know because he felt that it was kind of immoral to support those companies by wearing you know cloth made in in uh in the uk yeah and, ju- and just the thought that their dependence in certain areas on british goods was also then impoverishing large parts of their country so how were these british supposedly even a net positive and right and again that was kind of the whole thing where it's like we want the freedom to control our own country why do you consider that whole whole so hard to understand and something that i th- I, I think we talked about it oh a few weeks ago and i don't remember with which movie and I don't think it actually made the episode. I think it was just something we talked about after the fact. But the idea that there's just this undercurrent of white supremacy with the British Empire. They just saw themselves as superior and that they needed to, we're going to go over there and basically take over these areas of people who are not as, you know, militarily advanced as us. And they can't stop us from coming in and taking over. And then the idea that it, that it became this paternalistic thing too. Well, well, we're there for their own good. It's like... No, you aren't, you racist a-holes. Go back home. Right, because in the eyes of the British Empire, you know, their colonies in India and Africa and, you know, in the Caribbean, they were like, well, these people, they're just savages. And we know how to rule and govern. So we're going to do it for them, whether they like it or not, because we actually know what's best. And they, how how could they ever rule themselves? Right, and even... Churchill, who I've always a big fan of Churchill as well, but he was 
I hate, to, I hate to use the term with our modern context and white supremacists, but yeah, Churchill saw Gandhi as just some upstart brown guy that was getting too big for his britches. Like, he didn't respect what he was doing. Right. He didn't think he had any right to do it. Um, this is, like, really well exemplified in the movie when they're having, he's having a meeting with British officials and he's, he says something about India, you know, shouldn't be subject to alien rule. And the British guy on the other t- side of the table, like, laughs. Like, that's a joke. Like, what are you talking about? India is a British colony. Like, it's part of Britain. We're not, that's not alien rule. Like, we, you know, we deserve it. Like, it, it just never even occurred to him that he was, like, you know, an occupying force, basically. He's like, no, it, like, British, the, the British deserve to, to keep India. What are you talking about? I don't disagree. I saw that as just what happens after decades of time pass. So in that person's mind, Britain had controlled it for as long as they just got there. I feel like right. you don't think that if you just got there. But I feel like, again, because of just kind of how this man grew up. Yeah, so 1858 was when British crown rule was established in India. Yeah, it was basically, from that guy's point of view, depending on when we are in the movie's timeline here, it had probably been at least 60, 70 years since the British took control. So this guy had known nothing else his whole life except that India is part of the British Empire. But yes, he completely, to your point, he completely missed Gandhi's point of, yeah, but why? <laughs> you don't, yeah. you're, you're, you don't, no, this is, you just took over. Yeah, we don't want you here and this is our country. So uh, it's important to note that Gandhi was no saint. And the movie, I don't think, paints a completely unrealistic version of him, but it, it, paints an idealized version of him and something that showed up in my research here was that what we see him in the movie fighting for what seems to be equal rights for you know the minority that he is or or of course it's a kind of a majority minority situation in that they outnumber the whites but he's basically trying to get the indians in south africa at the beginning of the movie that's his big first thing is to get the indians in south africa treated like the british citizens that they are he wants them treated to equal to the white british citizens what the movie doesn't right. mention is that, yeah, not like them darn Africans. He was oh. he he wasn't saying everybody's equal. He's saying don't treat us like the blacks, treat us like the British that we are, and couldn't care less about how the black Africans were being treated because he kind of right. had his own superiority. And again, I'm not saying he's racist any more than I kind of want to say Churchill's racist, but I'm just saying right. history is complicated and it's tricky when we're using this 21st century you know lens to look at these things. And again, I think I think Gandhi's views evolved on that. This was obviously a young Gandhi who was in South Africa before he ends up back in in India and dealing with uh, getting rid of the British there. And I think his eyes were kind of open maybe to some larger issues there at play. And I don't think he would actively, you know, treat Africans any worse himself. But as far as what he was advocating for, it wasn't equality for all. It was, we're British citizens, treat us like it. And really didn't care about the Africans. So, yes, the picture everyone has of this cotton-wearing, rag-wearing, poor Indian guy is a construct that he did in solidarity with the poor later in his life. When he's in South Africa, he is a young lawyer educated in London... Right. His family was able to send him to London to go to school, where he learned to be uh, uh, became a lawyer. Comes back and unsuccessfully tries to start a law practice in India. And after a couple of years, hears about a job opportunity in South Africa where they just kind of need some help with some lawyering stuff. And that's why he heads over to South Africa, basically just to get a job 
And South Africa was not yet a country, not that that's super important, but in 1893, it wasn't yet the country that it is today. It was just kind of not consolidated in the same way yet. That didn't happen until just before Gandhi left, actually around 1910. And the movie does kind of mention how long he's there, but they kind of gloss over it. He was there for like 21 years. So this is a significant portion of his life that really only takes up, what, about 15 minutes of the movie, just kind of at the beginning there. Yeah. But it is it's significant because it's the first time Gandhi is putting into practice these principles of nonviolent resistance and non-cooperation. And the, the term that's used, of course, again, I'm not going to be able to say this right, but it's like uh, satyagraha. And I don't know if they say that term in the movie specifically, but that's kind of Gandhi's own personal brand of nonviolent resistance. And just kind of a big thing he advocated throughout his life was this satyagraha. Uh, so the subtitle of his autobiography is... Oh, again, I don't have it right here in front of me. It was basically, it's like my experiments with truth or the story of my experiments with truth. So for Gandhi, it was kind of all about, it doesn't matter what is or really like the way we kind of run society. It's like, no, what is the actual truth? What is actually right? And what should we be striving for? And kind of always having that ideal, even if I'm the only one in the room speaking up against an injustice, I'm going to be that voice in the room speaking up against injustice. Even if it means getting killed over it, I'm willing to kind of make that, that sacrifice. And he would do these little experiments. What would happen if I did this? And so the first one they kind of show in the movie here is, okay, even though we're members of the British Empire, we're required as Indians to carry this pass. But the basically the English British, you know, the, the whites don't have that same requirement, even though we should be equal members of the British Empire. So right. I would like to express my basically disagreement with that law by burning this pass. And they kind of he kind of gets beaten up, and someone else gets arrested, and then kind of makes the whole deal of I'm just going to keep burning these passes because they are wrong, and I don't care what, what you do to me. And and again, I think that that pretty much did happen, or something very similar to it uh, in real life in South Africa. There, so yeah. Then in the movie, it, we kind of just flash forward then 20 years to now we're in the 19 teens. I think it was in 1915, right around when he comes back to India and kind of gets this hero's welcome. Which again is is accurate. He had basically, in his advocation for uh, the rights of Indians, he kind of became a worldwide celebrity because that was just in the South Africa side of things. So then, by the time he gets to India around 1915, he was already kind of celebrity. So we kind of see that in the film too, where the kind of the boat shows up and it's like there's a huge crowd there to see him. And who is it? Who is it? Oh, it's this Gandhi guy who just like really is kind of fighting for the people and, and, and not afraid to speak up against the British. So we think he's pretty neat. And he kind of starts doing those things in India that we already kind of talked about with the non-cooperation with the British and ultimately reaching the point where he says, you need to leave our country. They kind of think it's a joke. And then World War II happens, which the movie doesn't really focus on. It just kind of skips over, but that kind of just interrupts the the, the British flow, so to speak. And... We don't need to go into the complete detail of everything. There is kind of the, the famous salt march where he marches to the ocean to make salt just as a big protest. And that was followed by the other scene we mentioned with the guys marching on the thing. There's another scene where they're kind of meeting and they, uh, they're they sending the cavalry toward him. And someone has the good idea of lay down, lay down. The horses basically will see us as an obstacle not to be walked on. And so I don't know if I'd have the courage. Is that real? Is that like 
Uh, that I didn't research. I had never heard of that before. I was like, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> Almost the way they filmed it, I feel like it's got to be. And I, I can see, because remember, a horse isn't just going to, like, run off a cliff. Or if it sees something that seems unsafe to walk on, I mean, like, they're kind of smart, kind of dumb, I feel like, with horses. So I feel like if you just have this squiggly mass of humans laying on the ground, the horses are going to be like, uh, no, 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 no. Which is kind of what we see in the movie. And I... Again, I'm not saying I'm going to try it, but I feel yeah. like I could see that working with a mass of people. I think one well, one I, person, I just, no. I thought maybe I'd like miss something because like in the movie, they're like, they're like, yeah, lay down. The horses won't walk on us. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, you're right. They won't. That's a good idea. I was like, wait, what? That's true. How did they really? know that? And we don't. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I choose to believe it. If uh, someone listening says uh, the, that's not a thing, let me let me know. <laughs> <laughs> So, also then basically, we just kind of, it's, you know, we talk about, you know, getting back in 1950, and then I just jumped to World War II almost 30 years later. But that's basically what it was. He just spent time in and out of jail, but also long stints of jail. We kind of jumped, you know, forward in the movies, they'll even say like many years later. And he spent a lot of time in and out of jail, uh, basically being charged with like sedition, because because he was trying to raise the people up against the people in charge. That is, that is the definition of sedition, right? And then, of course, he, he writes lots of things. The autobiography I mentioned that I've read was written while he was in prison during these years. So nicknames. So his given name is Mohandas Gandhi or often Mohandas K. Gandhi. Yeah, I, I didn't know that Gandhi's name was Mohandas Gandhi. Uh, I had always heard him referred to as Mahatma Gandhi. Yes. But I didn't realize that that is a title and not a name. And not even an official title. It's basically just a nickname, but one given in in reverence. It basically means great soul or venerable, whatever. He was so well-liked that the Indian people gave him this nickname of, you know, great soul. So, yeah, you still hear him today called Mahatma Gandhi as just his nickname. And then the other nickname he gets as he gets older is uh, Bapu, meaning father. So, right. yeah, he was kind of this father of the country in a lot of ways that ultimately helped them gain their independence through nonviolent means. Like, it, it worked. The British left. They basically said, screw it, it's not worth it anymore, and went home. And I just find that fascinating. Now, the other significant thing we have not addressed is the Hindu versus Muslim issue within India at the time. Right, which is... This is something that we kind of talked a little bit about in the uh, yeah the Peter Panchali episode. That movie is it was made shortly after the partition. Obviously, it didn't take place during that time, but it, it's kind of when that movie was made, they were like looking back on a time where it was what they consider you know the better time, specifically a time where you know Hindus and Muslims kind of lived together in relative peace and harmony up until the partition of India, which from what I know, basically the British tasked some guy with drawing a line on the map because they were going to divide India into one country that was going to be secular but majority Hindu, and then which was India, and then um, Pakistan, which is uh, majority Muslim. And so they basically just haphazardly drew the borders, and it caused a whole ton of problems that we see in the movie. It basically, you know, it caused mass migrations from Pakistan, you know, Hindus living in Pakistan migrating into India and Muslims in India migrating into Pakistan. And uh, yeah, a ton of violence. A lot of people died. And something that they talk about in the movie when they first bring up the partition, uh, I forget the names of the characters that are talking about it, but 
the guy says, well, you know, we're just going to have a partition. You know, the Hindus are going to have their country and then all the Muslims, they can they can have, uh, you know, the Muslim majority areas. Those are, that's going to be Pakistan. And some guy goes, what are you talking about? Like, there are Muslim majority sections on opposite sides of the country. And uh, that didn't matter because uh, when they drew the borders, they, you know, Pakistan, it was split. You know, you had Western Pakistan, which is what is still called Pakistan today. And then Eastern Pakistan, which today is Bangladesh. But at one point in time, actually for many years, it was Western and Eastern Pakistan. And it was one country basically separated by the entire subcontinent of of India. Yes. And now though, what the movie also talks about and shows is that the the Muslim faction wanted their own country. And now I, I did not research specifically about how the lines were drawn, but they do, they do mention, like you were saying, this, you know, the Muslim majority areas become Pakistan, but the Muslim they show in the movie, the Muslim leader, he's all for it. He does not want to submit to Hindu rule any more than he wanted to submit to British rule. And so he's advocating for, for Pakistan on behalf, even though they would get, like you said, the British are kind of involved in drawing those lines. Then Gandhi, he's the biggest outspoken advocate against that because he, again, as kind of this peace-loving guy, he just wants them, like, no, we're all Indian. I don't care what religion. He's like, yeah, I happen to be Hindu, but I'm good friends with all these Muslims. I'm good friends with, you know, this Christian guy we've seen throughout the movie. He's like, I don't get it. Why can't we just all be one India together like we were before the british were here like he's almost he's like super super passionate about it and so even though he was successful in getting the british to leave gandhi fails in his attempts to keep india united not just with the british partitioning it but with the muslims and also and also obviously the hindus themselves you know didn't seem to have a big problem with the the muslims wanting to have their own country but yes it then led like you were saying to a lot of violence in the migrations that follow when not only are the Muslims leaving to Pakistan. Well, there was plenty of Hindus in Pakistan that were then coming back. And so on the border, was where specifically in the movie, they show violence break out is right on the border as the different camps are marching along. And then one of Gandhi's last fasts is to try to get everybody to stop the violence because he was loved by both sides. So even though he was Hindu, the Muslim population was still a big fan of Gandhi and respected what he did. They still just didn't want to do what he was saying about staying as one country. They would rather split. Right. So the assassin, and I guess I feel like either I missed this in the movie, and every time I watched it, I guess for some reason I thought that his assassin was a Muslim that just didn't like this Hindu guy. But no, it was a Hindu nationalist who basically didn't like how cool Gandhi was with the Muslims. So Gandhi was killed by basically a Hindu radical. And I don't feel like they mentioned that one way or another in the movie, or I kind of was confused no, by. They, yeah, they they don't. And I, I wonder if that was a deliberate choice. But yeah, they, they don't really go into who killed him and what his reasons were, which and that's I mean, it's kind of commendable on the part of the filmmakers, because I don't really think it's important. Um, well, I guess they do show him with a, as part of the group he's with. And maybe I was just confused on what group that was with. I, I didn't really understand if it was a Muslim or a Hindu group at the time. It was apparently a very anti-Muslim Hindu group because he just kind of chastised them. Is the assassin in that group when he's chastising him? You mean when they come to his house? No, no. When he's in the car getting ready to drive off somewhere and there's that group outside that are basically threatening another group and he basically just like, he's about to cry just telling him, just, he's like, just stop it. Stop it. And oh, uh, I didn't know if the I, assassin was in that group or not. I, yeah. I don't. I don't okay. know. And, uh, is, and is this a... I feel like this is a quote from the movie and not just from his autobiography, but like there isn't a point where 
he basically says, I am when they're basically they're, they're bashing the Muslims and he's like, I am a Muslim. I am a Hindu. I am a Christian. I am a Jew. Like it doesn't matter. Let's just all get along. He basically says, I'm all four of these things. Yeah. I don't think he, I don't think that that exact quote okay. is in the movie. Okay. But he does talk about, you know, like, oh, well, you know, when I was, when I was a boy, you know, when I would go to temple, they would read, you know, from the, the Hindu yes, holy book, I yes. forget the name of it, and from the Quran. The, the Bhagavad Gita or something like that. Right, because he's, you know, saying, basically saying, like, it didn't matter where the words were coming from, everyone was there to worship, you know, their God, and, you know, it was like a community thing. Yep, yep, and he, he kind of to the point where we've talked about many times here, just the whole idea of drawing lines tends to cause more problems than it solves. Even if, even if they're, right. quote-unquote, the right line, you know, you're still going to have issues because now all of a sudden you're just inevitably then going to think differently and lesser of people on the other side of the line so his assassin was because they really don't address it in the film they just kind of cut to oh he gets killed and then we cut to his funeral but the guy was arrested it took about a year to get everything yeah everything resolved and gandhi's sons even actually were hoping to get the guy's sentence commuted but the prime minister said nah and he was ultimately hanged about a year after he killed uh, Gandhi. Oh, so his family even like, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. But they wanted to, their father's assassin's sentence commuted. Like yeah, that's how yeah. it was a whole pacifist, nonviolent thing. Now, so here, now getting a little more of Gandhi himself. And this is, I'm going to pull a little more just from my memories of reading his autobiography about 15 years ago. So this could be a little <laughs> rough, but, uh, in his autobiography, Gandhi kind of admits to being an absentee or negligent father. And we don't see his kids, and we see his wife a lot, but we don't really see his kids much in the movie, a little bit at the beginning when they're little. And kind of beyond that, we don't see them. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird that they like they come and visit him. It's, it's in the colony, right, in, in South Africa? Yeah, shows, yeah. Like, and then he's like, yeah, he's holding his kids, and then they like run out of the room, and like you literally do not see them again for the rest of the movie but that's kind of accurate to what i remember reading that basically and again this is something i think and now again i know how we kind of view things in the united states i don't know how common this mentality or sentimentality would be in india at the time but basically with what gandhi was trying to accomplish he considered it selfish to value his own children over the lives of the rest of the country and that yeah, I'm a bad father, but I'm doing something more important. And that was how he saw it. And like, maybe he was right. <laughs> exactly. No, no. And again, it's almost kind of hubris the way we you could argue. Again, I don't have kids, but <laughs> it's kind of you could argue that it's hubris the way we view it in the United States of, well, obviously you put your family before all else. But what if right. there is a greater good and you could literally, you know, free half a billion of your countrymen from oppression by again his kids still ended up being okay they just their dad wasn't around because he was saving the world so to speak yeah and yeah he kind of missed it being uh and we see a little bit too where he kind of he didn't rough up his wife exactly but basically says hey if you're not going to treat yourself as equal to everyone else here and he kind of like starts pushing her out the door oh yeah he's like he like really yells at her he's like well then you don't need to be here he basically tells her like get out then if you're not gonna buy into it and he kind of grabs her and yeah. again this is the non-violent guy but that would happen like again in the autobiography he's not afraid to admit his faults so like he would like i don't know if it was a kid but i remember he would get angry and and strike someone the big pacifist it was more like he was large-scale pacifist not small-scale pacifist yeah but again he never, never claimed to be perfect 
Another little anecdote from the autobiography that I think is kind of fascinating that kind of sums up maybe his worldview. So, you know, he's, he's basically kind of a vegan. And, you know, at one point, you know, he gives up, say, milk. And I do think it was specifically milk. Where he's like, I swear off milk. I am a guy who doesn't drink milk. And he was in uh, the hospital, you know, one of his fasts or something. And one of his friends or nurses or whatever ends up when he's, he's you know, he's eating again. But he's, he's just kind of sick and, and in uh, recovery. And they accidentally give him milk. And so he has now broken that how many years long of, you know, not drinking milk. And the person's like, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry. I forgot you didn't drink milk. Oh, my gosh, please forgive me. He's like, his re- his response was just so, uh, yeah, I still don't drink milk. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, he's like, the any kind of streak or whatever, like, that's that's the principle is what matters. So it's just like, yeah, right. I still don't drink milk. You did nothing to change that. You gave me a little milk. That doesn't mean I suddenly drank milk now. Like, right. it's just, it's not a big deal. And just, I just thought it was an interesting approach. And I think, again, sometimes <laughs> looking specifically at diets, maybe other things too, we ha- we hold ourselves to this perfection standard, not realizing you can falter and still be the person you want to be. So I think again, that's something I kind of got from, you know, from Gandhi's autobiography that it's, it's not about being perfect. It's about just trying to always be better and perfection shouldn't be the goal. And again, the, you know, the quote that's often attributed to him that I don't know if he exactly said is, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And there, there is something to that. There, there really, there really, really is. And I think there's a reason that his, his story and his persona still resonates well into the 21st century now. And he is this kind of person who has this mystique associated with him even though i feel like a lot of people don't really know a lot about him and and i and i think we should i think he's very very important and can continue to inspire future generations oh towards the beginning of the movie um it's actually right after he meets the priest that's helping him out in south africa yes and they're walking down the street oh yes <laughs> and they are accosted by a very young daniel day lewis that is correct yes <laughs> and i look it up and this is like one of his first movies yes yes and he's doing like he's doing an awesome south african accent <laughs> that's true because of course like, he even is back then <laughs> he's just killing it he probably spent a year in Af- Af- south africa preparing <laughs> preparing for his three lines in gandhi <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. And it almost is kind of a weird, it almost seems like they're highlighting him in a weird way, even though he's just in this one scene. Like he's like calling up to his mom or whatever, like, you need to get to work. And he's like, yeah, just, you know, just dealing with this guy on the and sidewalk. I, I was like, I was like, oh man, is he going to like, is he going to come back? Like, is he, you know, going to be like, you know, the, like a, you know, one of the white South Africans? Yeah. Yeah. This lesson? Nope. Nope. Never <laughs> see him again. <laughs> not, not in this movie. Okay. So the one other thing I want to mention, and then we can talk about the accolades of the movie itself here. So in my fanboyism of Gandhi and kind of uh, when I was kind of just out of college, I remember talking to someone who had a, someone younger than me who was basically at a college dorm with someone from India. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Like ask him about Gandhi. Cause I was like, that was, that was my, like, I was kind of curious to get a perspective from an Indian person though. And uh, I didn't ever actually talk to them, but my friend did. And I thought it was interesting. They, we're like, could take him or leave him. And we're kind of like, Psh, Gandhi. And I was like, what? And it's like this, like this, you know, this person, a friend of mine who had met someone from India and this person from India was basically like anti-Gandhi. Now, I never got confirmation on my theory, but I, th- I feel pretty confident in my theory here. 
someone who's come over, again, especially 20 years ago, someone who came over to the United States to study from India was more likely to be from a higher caste. And the people mm. from the higher castes would greatly resent Gandhi's disillusion of the caste system. Right. Because today, it doesn't exist. I mean, it still exists, I think, to some extent. I didn't do a lot of research on this, but it's it's not what it used to be. And it, it did kind of start with Gandhi, this kind of abolishment of the caste system, especially formally. I think there's still kind of remnants of that as seen by my friend's friend not really respecting Gandhi. Because, like, the dude's on their money and stuff. Like, nationally, he is recognized. But I think there's a lot of resentment there from the former upper castes against him for basically saying they're equal to the lower castes. Yeah, that's my theory. I don't have confirmation on that, but I would, uh, I think I'd be willing to put some money on that. There's probably, that's, that's probably where that resentment comes from. So the movie itself did win Best Picture in 1982 and maybe a bit of an upset, even though it kind of did so well at the Oscars, because you'll see I got one, two, three. It won eight Oscars, was nominated for 11 total, but I saw an article from 1982 or early 1983 talking about how it was a no-brainer gimme that et was going to win best picture this year that it was just so obviously like nothing else we've ever seen before and this groundbreaking film and you know from this director that's already given us a couple uh, best picture nominees and needed his first best picture win and obviously et was going to win and this was an article written you know at the time and then gandhi comes in and wins everything so I think the no-brainer, obviously, this that year would have been Ben Kingsley as actor. <laughs> um, but I, I think I kind of agree with that. I think E.T. is a better movie, and I think that Spielberg did a better job directing E.T. I mean, there's not really a ton direction-wise. There's not like anything super crazy going on in Gandhi that Richard Attenborough is doing, at least not on the level of E.T. I mean, I, I think if, if I was voting at the Academy that year, I would have I would have voted E.T. over Gandhi. Yeah, and, and the other three nominees that year are, they're solid movies, but they're fairly lackluster by today's standards. It's it's Missing, The Verdict, and Tootsie. So, yeah, I, I haven't seen any of those. So. And, uh, I, I've, I've seen them all, but they're they're more just kind of, Tootsie was fairly famous at the time for kind of, you know, it's Dustin Hoffman trying to go right. dress as a woman to yeah. uh, further his career. But the other two, I couldn't even remember. I mean, I think the one has got, Paul Newman as a lawyer, and I've seen Missing, but I don't even remember what it's about. It looks like Jack Lemmon there. Anyway, kind of just smaller stories. So the two big movies of the year were definitely E.T. and Gandhi. If you're looking at spectacle and big, they're going to be those two. So it was probably a two-person right. race. Yeah, I think, yeah, E.T. being definitely more innovative, I can see what you're saying and what that person who wrote the article I was talking about was saying that how could it not now, I don't know if they were saying that in a world where they hadn't yet seen Gandhi as a legit contender against them, or if they just thought it was still that much of, of a gimme. But there's also been the long history of sci-fi slash fantasy movies not doing well at the Oscars. Remember, the first, the first fantasy movie to win Best Picture, Return of the King. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe, maybe the, you know, E.T. was, yeah, because it was sci-fi, you know, people were like, oh, you know, it's just a, it's just like a fun you know, alien blockbuster movie. Like, this is the important, you know, Gandhi's the important movie, but and right. to an extent, I guess that's true. And, and, and again, you know, is there a little bit of that, that guilt playing into, like, we feel like we should vote for Gandhi out of this 
oh, I don't want to say white guilt necessarily. We're talking about something from the 1980s, and I don't necessarily know all the social political stuff involved. But you wonder if something like that is, is, is a factor. I mean, maybe, but Gandhi is also, I mean, it is a good movie. Oh, ab- no, absolutely. It's just, it's just not, it's not innovative and honestly, as a film. It checks all of the boxes yes. for Oscar bait. Yes. And you know, that's what gives it the edge. Yes. It's super long. It's a, you know, important historical story. It's a true story. It's, uh, you know, biographical. It's like the role Ben Kingsley was born to play. Right. It, it, it kind of had it. It was like teed up as far as the Oscars are concerned. Yeah, and he is he is half Indian, so he, you, yeah, you can kind of yeah, so. I think isn't his birth his birth name is Krishna. Yes, yes. So he yeah, his birth name is not Ben Kingsley. He has an Indian name and an Indian. I do believe it was his father, not his mother, that was Indian. Yeah, very much kind of born born to play it. And uh, I always am surprised how relatively young he still is i we saw we saw him he's kind of the old guy in hugo or whatever that we talked about but when i guess I, when i've seen this movie i guess i didn't realize when i first saw it probably oh this is young ben kingsley made up to be old gandhi as well so it wasn't like they right. you know recast it so he's playing gandhi from 1893 all the way through 1948 so yeah what, what is that 55 years he's playing gandhi mm-hmm. and uh let's see ben kingsley himself in 82 would have been he would have been about 39 years old so he's playing he's basically yeah he was playing it's kind of i guess a good mix there where he was playing him he was playing about 10 years younger because he was in his early 20s when he went to south africa because he was actually about 45 when he came back to india 20 years later so ben kingsley was actually quite a bit older than Gandhi would have been on that scene in the train but then obviously plays him all the way through his through his death in his his uh 70s and uh so the uh movie gandhi uh what we're talking about yeah uh it was it was nominated for a a hair and makeup academy oh. award but uh the quest for fire won. oh which is like one of my very first episodes yeah oh uh so i think i think you might have mentioned it but yeah so richard attenborough was the director who we saw as frenchy in the sand pebbles yes and something else that this movie has in common with uh the movie sand pebbles is the use of the slur coolie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, obviously, in Sand Pebbles, it's Americans, uh, and they're referring to Chinese people. And then in, in this movie, I think it's that, it's in that the scene that you mentioned earlier where Gandhi is getting off of the ship from South Africa, and he shows up, you know, wearing, like, traditional Indian clothes, and the British say he's dressed like a coolie. Yes. And I was like, wait a minute. Isn't that the same slur that they used in Sand Pebbles to talk about the Chinese people? And apparently it's like a slur that pretty much anywhere there was like European colonialism. The locals were called coolies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And the other one they mentioned is, is it a uh, Kaffir or how do they say? I, and I, I feel like I'm saying bad words in other languages oh, here. But see, uh, I, I, so I, yeah, I, I heard that word. I didn't, I didn't know what it was or, or. I guess oh, I'd... yeah, that's basically the N-word in, Af- in uh, <laughs> South Africa. <laughs> oh, okay. Which, and of course, there's the whole dynamic, too, whereas I have, I had college teammates from South Africa, and I, actually, I just texted one today. He's in, he's up in Detroit right now. Hi, uh, hi, Werner. <laughs> so I've met like nine people from South Africa in my life, but they're all white. <laughs> and okay. even though they were all friends and, you know, great people, I also kind of feel, even at the time and looking back, 
they were all probably a little bit racist, but just because <laughs> I don't want to justify it, but I just feel like the world they grew up in kind of just led to that because they grew up when his apartheid is going away. So basically their control over the country was ripped away from them during their lifetimes. And so they grew up, you know, I remember I, I one of my friends who basically talked about, you know, the South African flag where it has kind of that arrow coming in from the side, dividing the two other stripes. Yeah. And he kind of says right. like, yeah, we see that as the new government, just dividing our country. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. And anyway, but I think the term Kaffir was something they said with pretty, uh, pretty freely while in the United States. And I'm re- reading on here where it's, you know, it's basically a racist slur against blacks. And I'm just like, yeah. But it, it, it's just an interesting world perspective is kind of the reason I brought it up. Uh, I just had two little, like, I don't know, extra reading things, I guess. One is a, so there's a, a series on the Wired, like Wired magazine, mm-hmm. on the Wired uh, YouTube channel, where a accent expert and dialect coach named Eric Singer talks about accents in movies and TV shows. Okay, I think I've seen him before, yeah. Yeah, and one of the, uh, in, I think it might have been like the very first episode, but they, he actually talks about the movie Gandhi, specifically how Gandhi's accent changes over the course of the movie. So like at the beginning when you see him on the train, he's got like a, you know, a more what you would think of as like a British accent. And then as he gets older, he adopts more of what you would think of as like a stereotypical Indian accent. So like when he's talking to the two guys on the train, you know, he's speaking with a British accent, which is what Ben Kingsley actually sounds like, you know, in real life. And then as he gets older and spends more time in India, he adopts more of a regular what you or I would think of as a Indian accent. Interesting. Um, And apparently that's that's accurate to real life. I guess some people point to that as, you know, oh, why is he speaking two different ways? But that's like his accent actually did uh, evolve. But those those uh, those videos are also super interesting to watch. I heard an interview with Ben Kingsley. This was several years ago, and he's he's very proud about this performance, and rightfully so. But he was he was kind of bragging in a little way, where he's basically saying he was talking about I don't know if it was maybe to Attenborough. He was while well, he was still auditioning or whatever, and like sends sends in a tape of him talking like Gandhi, and. Attenborough thought it was a tape actually of Gandhi. Oh, wow. And uh, so Ben Kingsley was kind of proudly saying, it's like, no, 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 that that's me on the tape. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, you got the part. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, he's very British, but he does have this Indian uh, ancestry as well. So if you ever want the antithesis of his performance in Gandhi, you need to watch him in something called Sexy Beast. <laughs> okay. He's kind of a little bit of a gangst- gangster type, just like super foul mouthed and fast talking uh he was actually nominated for best supporting actor in 2002 for uh sexy beast another youtube video uh the vox uh v-o-x uh youtube channel has a series called borders and they do an episode um about india and pakistan and it goes a lot more in depth than we did obviously in this podcast but the guy in the video goes a lot more in depth into you know, kind of the history of how they drew the borders and why it was maybe not the right way to do it. And then the problems that it's caused mm. and the tensions that exist between Pakistan and India, even to this day. But yeah, that's a, that's another one to check out if, if you want uh, extra info on the subject. Yes. So we did backtrack several decades this week to go back to the end of the 19th century through Gandhi's death in 1948. 
Next week will be similar as we cover several decades in the life of the last Chinese emperor in The Last Emperor. <laughs>